to announce that there's going to be a new birth. The first time, I think, I'm trying to reflect on this, in a long time that we've had a staff person who's going to have a new baby. Joe and Rebecca are expecting a child in July. Is that right? If you, were here, if, if you weren't here last week, you missed the first picture of the child. We had the ultrasound picture. And so now they are on a course to figure out a name for their child and for us to pray for a healthy pregnancy and all that's involved. Joe has no idea how this is going to rock his world. <laughs> the firstborn's always that way, right? In fact, I thought it was great how they introduced uh, that they were expecting on social media this week, and it was just simply silent nights, no more. And that's true. <laughs> but there's something about a baby being born that captures not only your heart and your love, but captures the greatness of the world that we live in. Oh my goodness. This life has been entrusted to us. Some of you who are parents, you remember when that baby was placed in your arms and you're going, oh my goodness, what do I do now? Especially those of you who are men. How am I going to take care of this baby? What, what do I do? It doesn't come with instructions, right? But your heart's so warm and endeared to a new life, and then you start to contemplate, how did this life come into being? And, and you begin to move your heart into the sense of wonder, and you capture a fresh awe of God himself, even if you do not believe in God. And maybe you're one of those kinds of people today, a little bit skeptical. Is there a God? We'll do the Christmas thing. It's sort of the right thing you're supposed to do. It's quaint. But I want you to know that there are certain passageways of life that cause you to rethink if you're in that category. And seeing a baby in your arms is one that causes you to rethink what you think of God. God, he chose to give a savior into this world because he knew this world needed to be saved. And that this world not only needed to be saved at large, but that each and every person who makes up the world, this generation, all that came before, all that will come until Christ comes again, every single person needs a Savior. Do you realize that you need a Savior? And are you ready to receive not only the announcement afresh and anew this Christmas season that God is giving His Son into this world, but are you willing to receive not just the announcement, but receive his very life to come into your life, to lead your life? Because until that moment happens in your life, then Christmas is just a seasonal um, uh, great family time and, and remembering the stories and the presents and all that's involved. But when you receive Christ, the Messiah who was born into this world, into your personal life, it rocks your world. And it moves you in directions you can never comprehend. So, with that, I just say this morning, wherever you've been in your spiritual journey, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, maybe you're a newfound follower of Jesus, maybe you're somebody who's distanced themselves from the God thing, right here this morning, 
we have an announcement to make to you. And it's not an announcement that you haven't heard before. It's an announcement we're going to look at from Scripture. But the fuller announcement is that you, too, can be saved and see your life changed and transformed this Christmas season by the Christmas event that happened 2,000 years ago. Isaiah was, um, he was a prophet speaking forward not only what was to come, but also forth speaking what the people needed to hear. And so it was 700 years before Jesus was born, 2,700 years ago today. It's hard for us to comprehend those kinds of timelines, but you need to, to refresh your heart in this reality. It did happen. It was a historical event in the chronicles of history. In history class, they may not dwell that much on it, but when you look at the calendar year, we are getting ready to head into 2019. And why is it called 2019? Because of that historical event that Isaiah predicted 2,700 years ago, 700 years before it happened. And I invite you to turn in your scriptures to that passage in Isaiah or you can just simply look at it on the screen. In Isaiah 9, 6, the pronouncement was made by the prophet to the Israelite people who were struggling with a battle with the Assyrians and some other oppressive things. There was darkness upon their land and had been, and they longed for a Messiah, someone to save them, someone to turn the world around. And he gave this pronouncement. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of his, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now we're going to dive into that, pull apart a little bit more. Last week we gave reference to the reality that... Uh, a child was born, but a son was given because the Son of God always existed eternally with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity existing forever in the eons of time. There was no beginning to God. If God had a beginning, then he wouldn't be God because whoever created God, that would have been God, right? So it goes without saying that the uncaused cause has to be God himself. That'll work your mind over a little bit. I'm trying to get you to go back into history, Go back before the world was even created. And there was God himself living in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hard for us to comprehend that, but they lived together in a community. And God, in his sovereignty, after creating the world and seeing the fall of mankind, he began to make his plan to bring salvation to the world. And why did the world fall into darkness and brokenness? Well, it's real simple. A three-letter word, sin. Why did sin end in the world? Because God allows people to choose. God wanted people who would love him out of their own free choice. Any of you in the process of falling in love with someone right now, romantically? Thank you. Everybody's being admitting there. That's good. When you fell in love romantically, or if you're falling in love romantically, if you were forced to love that person, or that person was forced to love you, would that be a real kind of love or not? It would sort of be robotic, wouldn't it? Well, I guess my wife's required to love me. It's, it's hardwired in her. I guess I can, you know. No. 
You want them to love you out of their own free will and choice. And so God, in the beginning of time, placed in the hearts of people, human beings, the ability to choose, to choose to love or to not love, choose to trust or to not trust, choose to embrace or walk away. And when he created Adam and Eve, he placed within them that ability. But Adam and Eve chose not to trust God, to doubt God, because the adversary, Satan himself, who was a fallen archangel that uh, thought he could usurp God in the heavenly realms even before creation existed, that adversary, the archangel who was fallen, Lucifer, named Satan, the devil, whatever you want, he tempted Adam and Eve to doubt the God that created them. Uh, He's withholding something from you. God's really not loving. He doesn't care for you. He's just trying to be the big guy in charge and control your life. You ever felt that way? You ever heard that lie? That lie still comes today. I felt that lie when I was younger in my life, saying, well, God, I want to give you my life. If I give you my life, then you're going to control it, make me do things I don't want to do. How wrong I was. He loves me, and he desires for my life to be full and rich, just as he does your life, wherever you're at this morning. But Adam and Eve, they chose, they fell into sin. And, and, and when that choice was made to walk away from loving and embracing God, all kinds of havoc broke out throughout the course of human history. Right up to the point of Isaiah trying to deal with the people who were living in brokenness in a war-torn land. And there was a longing, as there's a longing with all of us when there's brokenness and problems, would somebody please fix this? Are you in a mess right now that you need somebody to fix? Maybe you got yourself into the mess. But our whole world longs for that which is wrong to be made right. Not only are we given the ability to love or not love, we are given the passion for justice, for things that are wrong to be made right. And the Israelites during the days of Isaiah were like, would somebody make all this right? That's why it's interesting that he gives reference. The government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness of the government and peace, there will be no end. They were like, oh, Isaiah, if that's true, that's like really good news. Somebody's going to fix this crazy world. Do you think the world's more crazy this year than it was last year? Maybe you're just being told that it's more crazy. Do you think there's more sense of uh, disarray and disillusionment in our world this year than there was last year? What about the whole just sense of law and lawlessness? How's that mix going? You know, we, we think about these thoughts. Maybe you don't dwell on it, whether you watch news or you're just interacting with friends, you know, at work or wherever. There's just something needs to be fixed. We're in the same place the Israelites were 2,700 years ago. We need a new government. And it's not that we need another election. Trust me, we don't need another election. Seems like it's just continual cycles. What we need is a Savior. We need a Messiah. But it's not just our world that needs the Messiah. Our world is made up of people, including you and me. And the world will never become right until we become right with the one who came to be our Savior. And so this moment in time, December 23rd, 2018, sitting in a 
a new worship room with drywall that's not finished. You have the opportunity to make that decision as if you will let the announcement made about the Christ child be one that changes your life and let him come in to govern you. For the moment that there's a governing of the human heart, there will be a right governing of the people that come together in his name. So last week we gave reference to the first two words. Naming of the child. You would name a child a lot of times uh, based upon hopes or based upon certain aspects about them. Remember when uh, Esau and Jacob were born? Esau was named Esau because he was a hairy guy. So he was named Esau. Jacob was named Jacob, which means heel grabber, because he came second, and he was on right on the heels of Esau. Now we know the whole story, if you're familiar with it, how Jacob used, you know, tricked Esau for the birthright to get the first in line. And, and, and so you see the names throughout Scripture having a semblance and, and reckoning. One child in the midst of a very difficult time when God's glory wasn't around was called Ichabod. Any of you name a child Ichabod or think about naming Ichabod? Ichabod? Ichabod means where is God's glory? And maybe you were named. Maybe uh, you were named after somebody that you admired. Uh, maybe you named your child after somebody. I, I read the other day that somebody named their child uh, after a, a rescue worker that saved them from some of the fires. And so there's semblance, there's meaning behind the names. And so here's God in the eons of time. Well, I'm going to name the child that I present as the Savior to the world. Uh, he, he couldn't come up with one name. And it wasn't that he needed a first name and a middle name and a last name. In fact, let me just straighten something out. If, he, if you don't really dial in very often on the religious stuff or the God thing or the Jesus thing, Jesus Christ, Jesus isn't his first name and Christ isn't his last name. Christ is uh, directive of who Jesus is as the Messiah. They would usually give reference, well, Jesus was the son of Joseph, which was his earthly father, though this earthly father wasn't involved in the biological aspect because the Virgin Mary was impregnated without a father, an earthly father. There's all kinds of backstory to that, but people knew Jesus when he was born. Look at the son of Joseph. Maybe you're known as the son of whoever your mom or your dad is, right? God couldn't come up with just a single name, so he gave several names. And here's this proliferative of names listed here in Isaiah. Wonderful counselor we looked at last week. The beautiful, incredible word wonderful means a cut above, beyond, excellence, okay? It is totally other. And the word counselor wasn't depicted as, as the, the, the idea of a therapist, you know, interacting with a person in a counseling session, you know, trying to hold themselves dear to them. The idea of a counselor back then in that time, because they didn't have the counselors or the psychiatrists that we think of today, was the idea that someone who is a life planner and director for you, a life coach, someone who was an incredibly smart, above-the-grade, uh, wonderful director who has a plan for your life. 
that was one of the names that Isaiah was told to write down, Wonderful Counselor. And then mighty God has to sort of repetitive, a mighty, mighty God. He's able to do it. He's strong. It's not only that God has a plan for you in your life, and it's not a bad plan. It's really a beautiful plan. Any plan you come up with is only going to be plan B. He's got plan A. And so he, he wants to see this happen, but he's not impotent in seeing it happen. He is the mighty, powerful God, and this God can make all things happen. So if you're lost this morning, if you're directionless, guess what? You have a wonderful counselor. If you're someone who's feeling weak and unable to see change happen in your life, guess what? You have a mighty God. But then the third term is everlasting father. And if you do studies on this passage, everlasting father seems to be the one that people trip up on. We can't quite get that. Well, wait a second. There was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, right, that existed in all eons of time, communicating together, communing together, serving one another, bringing beauty, the three but yet one, the one but yet three. I understand Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So how could Jesus, this one who was to be uh, born into this world as a child, the Son who was given, how could he be called Father? Isn't that a little confusing? So the idea is, well, maybe it's not so much the Father. Maybe it's the idea of everlasting. And everlasting means what it says there. It's eternal. So he is the eternal one. And so it's like, well, well, maybe then this child who was born, and Scripture says that in him all things were made and created. Jesus, yes, the one who was born. In the beginnings, all of time, he created the world. Maybe that's what it means, that he's the eternal one, without any beginning, uncaused cause, without any end, eternal. And there's value in that. There really is value in that. And seeing it as the everlasting one, the father of eternity, is one way that that phrase can be interpreted. You ever experienced the shortness of time in your life? I just shared with someone during Turn and Greed, and and, and they had to go back to their home state, and there was a, a family member who had passed away at the age of 54, right? That's way too young to pass away. I got a text a week ago Saturday from one of my prior staff members, the church I came from, and he and one of the board members were on their way to a funeral. The funeral was for my first worship leader that I ever had as a pastor. He was 50. And there's something that happens when someone's life seemingly has taken young. You go, wow, life's pretty brief. It is. His name was Bill Bean. He would stand behind a keyboard. I remember when we started the church, and my wife was working with Bill at a Christian bookstore, and I went, I went to my wife and said, you know anybody can buy the right kind of keyboard for us as a young church plant? And she says, yeah, yeah, a guy I work with. He, he, uh, he knows keyboards. He's sold some, and and so we, we went to the local music store, and, and he bought the keyboard. He said, this is the one you want to do this and that. And I looked at him, and I said, hey, Bill, that's great. I don't have anybody to play this keyboard. Would you consider being someone that could lead us in our first few services? And Bill Bean came, and he led, and he led with a tender, shepherding kind of heart. 
somewhere this last year was diagnosed with a rapidly developing disease and Bill's now with the Lord playing keyboard. Just like that. I just met Bill. How can Bill be gone? But all of us, if we slow down to think about it, life is very brief. And there's something beautiful and incredible to think that everlasting Father, the eternal one, the Father of time, that, that he understands that we have this cringe factor when we realize how brief life is. But that's really not the foremost thought here of everlasting Father. Everlasting Father, really, the weight resides with the word Father. The word conjures up, hopefully, in most of our minds, someone who's very endearing, who's a caregiver, who's a protector. If your father was that, if your father wasn't that, then you sort of say, yeah, I don't know, Father's a good name for me to think of Christ as. But the babe who was born... The son who was given, the Messiah who came into this world to establish his government foremostly in the hearts and lives of people and then ultimately in all of the world, that one is called Everlasting Father. The one who is eternally faithful, consistently Abba Father, who protects you, who not only guides and directs you, but is there to care for you, to uphold you, to champion you. He is the Everlasting Father. Father. And so when you hold a baby in your arms, and Yarbroughs will end up holding their baby, the Lord willing, in their arms, there's just something that melts. There's this whole new dimension of love and care and protecting that emerges up within us. Well, where does that come from? It comes from God Himself. You're not a mechanical robot. Oh, here's a baby, change a diaper. No. There's nurturing and endearment. It comes from the very heart of God and that God holds you as a child he created you in your mother's womb he loves you more than your mom or dad or anybody else could that God is your everlasting father and when he came into this world he came to show his love and Jesus as he walked and he talked on this earth that love was shown the protector the caregiver so, if you're lost and directionless, you have a counselor, a wonderful counselor. If you're feeling weak and discouraged that things can't happen, you need to know you have a mighty, mighty God. And if you're feeling alone, insecure, if you have fear in your life, you need to know that you have an everlasting Father. Isn't that cool, sort of the nuances that these four terms, these four names start to build to the character of God. And there's many, many other names for Jesus. But these four start to finish out the whole picture. Not a little myopic, oh, Jesus, a baby in the manger, that's sort of cute. We'll sing the songs away in the manger, you know, silent night, all that kind of... No, this is the great God of the universe. And I'll say it, because I've been kidded about it from a few years ago when I was speaking, right, Joe? You were kidding me about this. The God in a baby body blows your mind away. <laughs> Only God could come up with that idea. So God, child was born, son is given. God, I won't go there and repeat it. It'll get in your mind. 
She always gives me a hard time about it. But this one who was born, don't think of him as the child in the manger. Think of him as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. And then, and then, the prince of peace. Some of you need peace right now. Your life's in turmoil, or you're worried about the holidays, you're heading to the mall afterwards because you're late getting your gifts. Some of you are rethinking if you're going to give gifts to your child because they've not necessarily been on the nice list recently. There's stress, maybe even despair in your life. One of the most powerful names for Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, Prince is the son of a king. Now, you don't normally think of Jesus as the son of a king or a prince. Once you want to be the first in line, but really the weight of the word prince there is Sar. It's actually uh, Sar is for prince and Shalom is the, the Hebrew word for peace. So he's the Sar Shalom. And Sar was the word for governor or director, chief, captain, okay? In fact, in the Roman times, you had Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, right? Nero Caesar. Sar meant the leader, okay? Before the Bolshevik uh, revolution in Russia, they named their head of state, the czar, right? And so this idea of a, a czar, a prince, was the leader. And so Jesus is being given this name that he is the leader, he's the governor, he's the captain, he's the one who has the peace, the shalom. And the shalom wasn't like, oh, peace, things are quiet in my house, oh, good, that's, I just, just need some space. It's much broader and richer. If you were to walk around Israel with Hebrew people, even if you were to visit Jewish people today or for the holidays, Hanukkah or whatever, they a shalom, shalom, shalom. I like the word shalom. It's better than, hi, how you doing? Hey, knuckles, right? What's that? Shalom is this gift giving of peace, of 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 saneness of mind, of, uh, of soundness of state. May the peace of God be with you. Shalom. And so the Sar Shalom is his name. And if you're at a place that you don't have peace, he wants to give you peace if you will let his government reign in you. You see, a cynic will look at these words and go, yeah, right. That was 2,000 years ago. I remember talking to somebody who was an atheist, a skeptic once, and go, yeah, 2,000 years, right? Where's Jesus been? I heard he was coming back again. Look at this world. Well, let me, in, let me dial you in a little bit on what God's plan here is, what he's doing. This is extremely helpful when you try to look at the lack of peace in our world. Jesus came 
to establish peace in the hearts of people who are out of relationship with him first. Jesus is coming again someday, and he will establish that peace in a new heaven and a new earth. We live in between the times. And the Tsar Shalom is actively building his government. Jesus, when he died at the age of 33, the only person he ever really governed was himself in one sense, right? But after Jesus died, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, he became... He became the governor of many people. And his government is increasing every year all over the world. People who are choosing to align themselves to fall in line with his leadership in their life. People who receive him as their savior. And Jesus' government is growing. You may think, well, look at our culture today. I, I saw a title of an article this week that says, Witchcraft is going, growing, but Christianity is diminishing. I doubt that, but there was a headline somebody thought they would come up with. But you go beyond the United States, the movement of people becoming Christ followers is significant. Some people say up to 2 billion of the 7 billion people in the world would identify themselves as Christian. Maybe genuine Christians, smaller than that, true Christ followers, so be it. But the reality is his kingdom, his reign, his government is rolling on. And he will culminate it someday when he comes to establish his physical reign through the second advent. But the first advent, we need to grab a hold of if we're ever going to be a part of the joy that will grip our hearts at the second advent. The first advent, the coming of Christ into this world, had to do with him bringing shalom to the hearts and lives of people that needed it. I'm always... looking for nuances of things throughout other parts of Scripture. Isn't it interesting when Jesus, he would appear with his people at different times and he would say, peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give, but I give you peace. But you're like, there was a lot of bloodshed and here Jesus was, he took on the very violence of the Roman people. How in the world can that be peace? We need to understand this. In this current day and age, you can have peace if you don't want to have justice. In fact, the Tsars, the Caesars, right? Those people, or even if the, the Tsars of, of, of other earthly governments in history, they could have peace by being dictators and controllers of everything. Jesus was born in an area, in a time called Pax Romana. Pax Romana was a time of Roman peace throughout all the Mediterranean area from Rome over the Middle East and farther beyond than that. And the Pax Romana really helped spread the gospel because people could travel. There was peace. But there was only peace. Why? Because there was a hard dictator who was ruling over those countries with violence and bloodshed. There's a way to have earthly peace if you have control. That's not the peace Jesus came. To bring. We want peace, but we also want justice without the violence and the control. Jesus came to bring peace because he came to change the condition of the human heart. 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. <sighs> Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I'm lost. I need a counselor. I'm weak. I need a mighty God. I'm living in fear and insecurity. I need an everlasting father. And I'm living in anxiety, an internal disarray that people don't even know. I need the Prince of Peace. Unto you, put your name there. A child is born, a son is given. A historical event predicted 2,700 years ago that happened 2,000 years ago. But in this day, December 23rd, 2018, have you received the one who was called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? Or is it just some nice terms and a nice sermon on a Christmas weekend? You know, at the end of every year, They articulate people that have passed away. And there are several that passed away this year in a known kind of way. But one that never passes away is the one in Galatians 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are as his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This passage describes Paul articulating after Christ had died and ascended to the heavens the beauty of the one who could be called the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And he was, he was adamantly out there telling people about the Jesus who came and then he ascended to the heavens and he's coming back again. And he was doing that because he was commissioned by Jesus himself. Remember when Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, they were all fearful. He breathed on them peace. And then he gave them a commission to go and tell everybody about him. And so Paul took that mantle upon himself, and that's why he would write something such as this. And Paul knew that Isaiah passage. But there's others who have come after Paul, and one of those is the individual that I'm sure will be on the list of those who passed away this last year when that's reviewed on TV channels and newsworthy things. And that individual we looked at in February, that individual was Billy Graham. Billy Graham died right before, really, his 100th birthday, but he faithfully led a charge for people to receive Christ into their life. I remember Billy Graham and uh, some of the, the really strong dimensions of his evangelistic crusades. There was a track that they made up, and the, the track was a track that just simply said this, steps to peace with God. Steps to having the, the sar shalom a part of your life. 
and I'm mindful on a day like today, and, and some things have happened recently amidst of, you know, trying to be the gen, help being the general contractor and do things and cleaning. And, man, there was a crew that came last night to help clean the building. That's great. You're just rolling from one thing to the next, trying to make ends meet, get the people in here. It's been beautiful to have worship here today. Tomorrow night's going to be beautiful. But then you have to stop dead in your tracks and realize, what's all this about? It's not about a building. It's not about getting more people in a room. It's about each and every person, including you, that God wants to change and to transform and to bring hope into your life. And about those who are outside these walls, the people that you'll interact with today, the people that you'll sit down with for your Christmas meals, the one you like and the one that you're like a little awkward with, right? Everyone, God wants them to receive his son as their savior. And we've got to be real clear about this. You've maybe heard me say it before, you know, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It just doesn't. Something has to happen in your life. But God is not a violator, a violator of people's wills. He sent his son into this world to change and transcend the uh, change and transform people. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. It's there as an offering, but you and I have to act on this. And someone like the apostle Paul in his day, or Billy Graham in his day, they knew that there had to be a decision that was made on the part of each and every person in this world. And that decision was, will you let this one who is called the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, be your Savior? And if you will, he'll bring you peace. Doesn't mean that everything will go right in life or everything will be easy in this world, but that inner sense of peace of what Christ came to do and change and transform you can be yours today. And so if you were to open up that little booklet, the steps are these. Step one is God's purpose is for you to have peace in life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, full. He's not out to ruin your life. He's out to give you life. And he's out to give you peace and a purpose. He has a plan. God loves you and wants you to experience peace in life, an abundant and eternal life. This is his longing in his heart. That's why he sent his son. But step two, maybe you've seen this kind of diagram. It says, here's our problem. There's separation. And the separation is that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. It's spiritual death. Our choice results in separation from God. It's what happened all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you may readily identify as, yeah, I'm a broken, lost, sinful person. Or you may be sort of a little bit stubborn about that. So I'm okay. I'm good. I don't need God. If there is a God, you need to know that in your heart, there's separation between the sinful and the holy, between people and God. And there's no way across that chasm unless you try these, maybe, huh? Have you been there before? Our problem is separation. There's only one remedy for this problem is separation. We try good works. We try religion. We'll go to church on Christmas weekend, philosophy, morality, but that won't work in building the bridge on the divide. So step three in Billy Graham's little simple book, Steps of Peace with God, God has provided the only way. We must make a choice. God's remedy was the cross. God demonstrated his love for us, Paul says in Romans, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He also says in Romans 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin. Jesus Christ died the death we should have died for our sins, so that we may have the abundant life He wants to give. It's through Christ and the cross, and then the power of His resurrection that builds the bridge for us to be united with God. But, step four, there has to be a response, a decision. We have to receive Christ as our own Lord and Savior. The wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, do you want Him in your life? You see, the reigning of His government has to do with if He's going to reign on the throne of your life today. Have you ever in your life made that decision for Jesus Christ to reign in your life? Jesus wants to do that. But you have to respond. The sin, the rebellion, the separation can give way to peace, to forgiveness, to abundant life, and eternal life. You bow your head and close your eyes with me. Just as we close before we finish out with some great kids coming to lead us in song, I want to give you a moment in time, December 23rd, 2018, to surrender your life to the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Simply... It's a disposition of the heart where you turn. The word repent means to turn away, a change of mindset, a change of indifference towards a change that's embracing of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you haven't done, how broken you've been, what kind of pit you're in right now. God, through His Holy Spirit, is speaking to you, saying, I sent my Son into this world as a child to be born, to live sinlessly, to die on a cross, to be raised from the grave so that you may have new life and peace. Will you receive my son? And it's a simple response that you make. And if that's your desire this morning, whether you've made it before or not, I'm going to encourage you to repeat these words after me. In fact, I'm going to have everybody repeat these words after me as a point of affirmation maybe, but also if you've never made them before and you desire to in your heart be a Christ follower today, then these words represent your response. It's meaningful, but it's life transforming. So together, just repeat these words after me if you're not disposition. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for coming into this world to be my wonderful counselor, my mighty God, my everlasting Father, my Prince of Peace. And Jesus, on this day, I repent of my sin. I turn from my indifference to you, and I turn to follow you. Jesus, come into my life. Lead me from this day forward. And to the best of my ability, from this day forward.
I will choose to love you, worship you, honor, and serve you. Amen and amen. If you've never prayed a simple prayer like that, which takes on all the transcendence of the world, I want to say welcome to God's kingdom. Welcome to his government. Because his government comes to reign in your life when you make that simple decision. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of the human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You have become born again if you've received Christ this morning. And so with that, can I just have us give a word of praise through clapping of hands for God's work in and through all of our lives. I'm going to invite some of the elementary kids up as they close us out. In your seat backs with that connection card is a place to mark, I'm committing my life to Christ. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would like to know that. We would like to be able to follow up and encourage you. Not bug you, but encourage you in this newfound faith. We would also like to just be able to come around you as friends and family and be able to point you in some directions that you can grow spiritually. It was hard for you to maybe make that commitment. There's a place that I want to grow spiritually. or Maybe I have questions. You can mark that as well. And we're going to take those commitment cards. We're going to place those in the offering baskets, the connect cards. And we're going to receive those right now as we close the service as the only way I know is best to close a Christmas time service. And that is to have kids sing. And they're going to sing about this event that we've spoken of in these moments. So while you welcome this entourage of elementary age kids, as they lead us in worship, the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offering. from the Most High God. The Lord is with you, don't be understand what the angel is talking about. Her, have a baby, but the angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High God. Call him Jesus.